0: Where are my rights? I need my rights. Where are they? I, I need rights. <laughs> to right, what? Rights to games. <laughs> we still got some games. <laughs> like good, good move guys. Solid pivot. Good pivot. And oh, you know what? Great recovery after you guys. Uh, you know your, your failed attempts to win seats for the Liberal Party. <laughs> what? Really good. You guys are a couple of darlings, okay? Oh, and and I'd be remiss if I didn't say congrats on all that new stuff with the Atlantic.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of America's Best Worst Canadian Sports Podcast. That's right, Real Good Show is back at it again for another week. It is episode number 179. My name is Justin Morissette, and oh boy do we have a doozy coming your way today? I am so thrilled to be joined by my guest today. And I'm not going to talk too much off the hop this time out because we talked for so long. We talked for almost two hours uh, with this gentleman that, um, I don't know why I said we. Well, me, I talked with him. I guess Mike and I together talked for almost two hours. The recording process actually did run for longer than two hours. I snipped a couple things out here and there. Regardless, uh, I thought about releasing this episode in two parts over the course of two weeks. Uh, in part because we talked for so long that I know when I post this, it's going to take up all of the storage space that I have on my uh, podcast hosting service for the rest of the month, so uh, you might not hear from me again until June 1st, but I decided to go uh, all in one full swoop here with a gentleman who uh, was somebody that I always enjoyed listening to back in, in my listening days of Sports Talk Radio before I got into uh, the the game myself, uh, someone who had quite an impact on me and then was... Uh, A huge example of the kind of work that I wanted to do. Made an indelible impact on the culture of sports talk radio here in Vancouver. And then just disappeared, vanished off the face of the earth uh, with no trace of him but his Twitter account uh, following him down to the mean streets of El Segundo, California. Uh, he's going to talk all about that. But yes, it is my own personal Winnebago man, Martin Ego Man, you might call him. Mike Martinego, former producer and host from the Team 1040, now TSN Radio here in Vancouver. A very talented and funny gentleman. We get into all sorts of things, uh, his career, uh, the difficulties of, of just trying to make it in sports talk radio here or in any other city really. Uh, You know, the Whitecaps, the scandal that surrounds them, uh, the Vancouver Canucks ownership, uh, what's going on with the management group, he even uh, revives his, well, well, we'll leave that for for later in the discussion, but a special character joins us uh, later on. And uh, we got into it about the number one thing that I brought him on to talk about, which is, of course, he's very anti-experiencing uh, <laughs> joy if you happen to work in a in a uh, sports newsroom. He was very upset with uh, those videos that were circulating last week of the Sportsnet newsroom in Toronto losing their minds over the Kawhi Leonard jumper to to uh, To win Game 7, the only buzzer beater in NBA history, a a transcendent moment, uh, I think, in NBA history. I think the NBA thinks that too. Mike, not so sure, however. And we will get into all of that. Uh, So, yeah, we talked for almost two hours. I should probably stop talking so you can hear our conversation. Once again, it's a good one. Without further ado, my conversation with Mike Martinago. Look at you, nerds! It's been a while! (laughs) My guest this week is someone you may know as a producer or on-air host from uh, that other radio station across the way that I used to listen to but have since sworn off for reasons that are entirely unrelated to my current employment situation. Uh, He is... uh, now an international man of mystery. He has gone AWOL. No one has seen or heard from him. This is like my own uh, searching for Bobby Fisher or or Winnebago man situation. Uh, Mike Martinego, welcome to Real Good Show.
2: Thanks for having me, man. I, that's quite the intro. Wow.
1: Well, there are a lot of people who uh, are very uh, puzzled by, by your disappearance, <laughs> that you've gone off the grid.
2: I i um i that's that's bizarre by the way I don't see it that way um uh, no i've I've been out of Vancouver for almost two years now and um i i i'm I'm pretty pleased where i'm at i'm I'm living just outside of Los angeles um I work down here obviously, and I think the whole thing it, it came to be um very quickly in the in the sense of moving like it literally happened like within a week in terms of paperwork and getting every everything and all the shit sorted out um but no i i i, I also didn't set it up well i'm on, on on twitter i just basically said like hey everyone i'm leaving talk to you later <laughs> and i think i think i think that was right around am i allowed to refer to the other station? Is that yeah right? yeah go for it okay so that was right around the time when Word was coming down about Halford uh, and Bruff getting a daily show Monday to Friday on the station. So, yeah, I mean, that was, what, August, September of 2017. And and I just kind of up and left. P- people were asking, are you going to be part of that show? Are you going to do this? Are you going to produce? Are you going to be on the air with them? All that bullshit. But, you know, kind of behind the scenes, my wife and I were uh, not necessarily scheming, but we were we were working our way to... Uh, move for for work down the united states and um so when i when i left i kind of played it off as a joke and i think a lot of people actually didn't realize i was actually moving to the states i I basically said like yeah halford brough cut me they don't want to hang out with me anymore i'm leaving uh see you later i'm i'm out of this shit and um here we are so I've moved I'm I'm doing my own thing now uh, down here I, I work in marketing granted I worked in marketing um, and communications back when I lived in Vancouver as I was doing radio because we all know radio doesn't pay the bills oh what are you and, talking about
1: why do I have to do this podcast it's for but, love of the game obviously exactly exactly <laughs> so that and that's what a lot
2: of people without going into the whole life story um, that's what a lot of people just never knew uh, from about me, from my standpoint was the fact that, um, probably like right after Vancouver 2010, I was, I was doing a a marketing communications gig, uh, you know, Monday to Friday and I would, the radio stuff was fun, but it was always essentially like a side gig. It was never full-time work. And, um, it was just, it was never really there. It was never really offered and the opportunities were few and far, but I got to do a lot of fun shit on the radio. And, um, you know, we made we made a lot of memories along the way, whether it was through doing, you know, curtain blog radio or doing soccer stuff. Uh, you know, I was really passionate about that. And, uh... Anyways, I mean, life is life is pretty good down here. I'm just outside of L.A., and I can't complain.
1: Yeah, well, it's hard for, you know, I have a, you ha- if you're going to stick it out in this industry, you have to have, like, a certain level of self-belief that you are good enough to make it in these uh, competitive, shark-filled waters, and I like to think that about myself, but at the same time, you know, I look at someone like you, who who never had uh, it happen for you, despite being, you know, as fucking hilarious as you were uh, pretty consistently on the air, I like to think, and... Um, wow. It's it's proof an old
2: saying of mine. <laughs> tears in my eyes right now. It's it's proof
1: that uh, that we do not live in a meritocracy. If things do not happen uh, for Mike Martinego.
2: well, no. Listen, I mean, I uh, and you put it in a, I think, a polite way. I'll have to re-listen to that after. But <laughs> I, the, the thing
1: is, um,
2: I, I I believed in myself and I wanted to do good things and I wanted opportunity, but uh, you know, I just wasn't getting it, and there, there was a lot of. A lot of, uh, I think, wrong. What's what's the what's the saying? Right time, you know, right chance. That's not a saying at all. But I, wrong I place, I wrong time,
1: sort of thing. Something
2: like that. I missed the boat on a couple occasions, I think, because I had a full time gig. You know, I, I was I was working a gig that. Paid me relatively well. Um, I had benefits. <laughs> These are, you know, if you could kind of understand, I'm speaking in code a little bit about a certain industry that I was doing on the side that I wasn't getting. Yeah. Um, so I had to, you know, at the end of the day, I had to look out for myself. I had to do what was best for me. At the time, my girlfriend, now my wife, now I have a child. So you know there's there are more than a few people who have been in my shoes. I mean, I I love the media industry. I take shots at everyone left right and center. I love fucking around. I love making jokes. I I I still follow every sport. Um but in terms of in terms of actually working in media uh right now anyways, that that door's closed.
1: Well, uh, you know, you were somebody who, uh, I guess, like, the the prime of your media career was when I was going to school to do this sort of thing, and what you were doing on the weekend show with with Mike and Jason was, like, uh, a a big, uh, you know, green light for me that I was not making the wrong decision, that there was room for the kind of thing that I wanted to do. And uh, for people who don't know, like, you, uh, in your role as producer on The Old Curtain blog show would do these like extended segments that would run anywhere from eight to 15 minutes at a time, where <laughs> you would uh, the, take on this persona, this alter ego of yours, Ralph Rantinego, that was this, uh, you know, voice of the working class, every man, and uh, just kind of character driven, uh, improvisational comedy as part of sports talk radio that has never really existed in this market before. For. Um, and that was a, a huge. Uh, I, I don't know if it's an influence on me and what I've come to do, but it was a uh, you know this beacon of hope that like uh, the, the <laughs> kind of comedy that like merged with sports that I want to do, that I want to see can mm-hmm. exist uh, here and probably other places as well.
2: Well, one, I appreciate that, um, and I you know I I think. I mean, he's still got his Twitter account going, and he's probably got around 500 followers. So there's, a, there, there. He's got, you know, he's got faithful fans. But no, it was, it was, it was a good time doing that. You know, we, we, we basically started that program when the Canucks were good. Okay, so we're talking like 2010, I think it was, and we were working um, this, and they were very much in the same boat I was, uh, Mike and Jason. We, you know, we we were doing nights it, it was like the schedule itself was beyond ridiculous it was like not uh, non-game nights between like 8 30 and eleven oh one. it was like the the, it, the schedule was so ridiculous
1: when you were on um, weekends it would change from you know you'd have a different oh, time slot every single saturday basically we were
2: supposed to, yeah we were supposed to be three to five but then if there was a game we'd go on from nine to eleven and then we did maybe 10 to midnight it was like it was just so fucking off the charts and I mean, we rolled with it, but you know, back in like 2010, 2011, that's when it it, it all started. And then we kind of went our separate ways a little bit because I, I mean, I was just working basically, and and uh, they, they I, I didn't really have time on the weekend to do that. And then I reunited with them, and yeah, it was it was a blast. I mean, I, I think in terms of how it all came to be, we were I mean, we were just fucking around for ideas, and and you know, we we decided to take on this whole like persona of like a, a shock jock. Um, but also, you know, inspire the, the, uh, everyday working class guy. I mean, full disclosure, I think Ralph had a lot of Pratt style in him. Um, you know, there, there was just, we just made up a lot of shit as we went, you know, he was, he was this guy who, who basically knew everything, but didn't, he'd get names wrong constantly, which, which added to it. He'd make awful jokes. Um, and, and I, it is sad in a way and I, granted, I don't listen to a lot of Vancouver sports radio, um, much anymore, but you know, there's, there's not, there's not a lot of, uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of room for that. You know, um, I, I it, and it's a shame to see because it is, it's fun. And, and what was so funny about it was how polarizing he was. I mean, there, there were people who would who would text an email in who thought it was the funniest fucking thing. And then there were people who like literally want to send death threats. Like it was so bizarre how that all turned out, but it was a fucking blast.
1: Well, I mean, I can speak personally. I would be listening to you guys in the car and if, if they were teasing out, a a Ralph segment coming up, I mean, this is the best compliment you can offer to uh, Sports Talk Radio at all, is, you know, if I got where I was going, if I pulled into my driveway at home, I would stay in the car (laughs) for as long as it took to hear whatever Ralph was going to say. Because, I mean, yes, you're you're mentioning the fact that he's uh, kind of a blumpkin, an idiot of some sorts. But at the same time, it's also this avenue for you to... Uh, speak truth on some level because uh, you've created this like side voice that you know you can't get mad at what he says because it's not serious and Mm -hmm. in that light you can slide in some actual biting commentary at the same time right
2: and and i slash he did that a lot um you know there was there there was a lot of flexibility with that character to you know make the the random jokes about uh Francesco Aquilini's wine cellar or um (laughs) and if if I won't go into the whole story but there's obviously is a story there and I'm sure quite a few people know it um but just you know getting to make the jokes, I I was getting nostalgic a couple weeks ago and I was I was listening to um all of of the shots that were being taken at, at Thomas Vanek's gambling problem or or Michael Delzato and and porn star Lisa M. Like there were so many good I mean, very obvious, but people weren't saying these things. Yeah. You know, people were not saying anything about about Thomas Vanick and and the stories that were out there. And he was able to make those 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 jokes, those cutting comments. And it was I just I mean, it was hilarious. And we always I mean, we obviously had notes and we'd have a script from time to time, but we improv improved a lot, and um, it was it was hilarious to see the reactions as we were doing it.
1: Well, there's like a respectability politics at play once you get into the legitimate media game, right? Like, as much as I have had uh, some shots to take at players and the team over the years, once you have skin in the game, it's like, well, if I, if I want to be in a scrum and ask these guys questions, I can't necessarily do the kind of comedy that thrives on hockey Twitter. But if you... Mm -hmm. invent a character, uh, then you can say kind of whatever you want and play both games at the same time, right?
2: Oh, no doubt about that. And, you know, fortunately, um, kind of in my early days of doing radio at the station, I was more involved with, you know, the things, maybe the, the, the pregame skates and the postgame stuff but you know after a certain point i was very much in the studio so nobody knew who the fuck i was right so <laughs> i could i could get away with whatever the hell i wanted and uh, and everybody enjoyed it so well maybe not everybody but a lot of people enjoyed it and uh, yeah it was uh, it was it was a fun time it was it was really it's it's really fun to look back at those uh, at those moments. I'm just pissed that a lot of the audio isn't around anymore because I can't kind of seem to find it online.
1: Yeah, because I was saying I would I would sit in the car and wait for it to happen, and then once I listened to it, they would put it up on their SoundCloud account, and I would probably go back and listen to it again. You know, four, five, six times over the course of the <laughs> next week because it would just make me laugh so much. Um, and it, yeah, it is sad that that. That that archive does not exist, but um, what's what? Do you have like a comedy background at all? Like, where did that come from, other than just kind of an avenue to to make fun of Pratt a little bit, I guess. <laughs> he'd he'd
2: always call me big guy. It was such a great uh, great thing with him. Uh, I don't think he ever knew my name, by the way, but. Um... <laughs> No, I, 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 no, there was no comedy at all. And and I think the idea, you know, uh, some friends in the past would always say like, Oh, you should try stand up. And I was like, I don't want to fucking try that at all. I have no interest in doing that. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, uh, I love being a jackass, but I wouldn't love being on stage and, and trying a whole, whole bit or whole routine. I just, I just love, I love bad humor. I love, um, I love bad jokes I love sarcasm, and it was just a thing where you know, growing up, I, I I enjoyed making people laugh. I mean, I love the opposites of things, and and it was it was just one of those things where uh, I I just kind of was a bit of a clown growing up, and um, I I just you know, I think, and and I've noticed this a lot with with people, even people who are well established in the in the TV, but more so, radio industry. They go into it and they take themselves extremely seriously. And then, you know, maybe after a couple of years, they just loosen up a lot more. And I think we see it with a lot of the Vancouver personalities on Twitter now. You know, there's there's quite a few who are just a bit more calm and they're, they're a bit more relaxed in their own skin. So, you know, you'll see... Um, take your pick. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll see maybe like a, uh, just a guy like, I don't know, like a Blake Price make just a, a random joke. And you're like, What well, I, I didn't think he was going to fucking say that. And, and, and it's great to see because these are people being, being real. And, uh, and that's not, that's not a thing at Blake at all because he has a great sense of humor too. But, you know, we, tr- we, I think we just tend to take it a little too seriously off the top. But um, it's like I said, it's, it's nice to
1: see that people are, are loosening up a bit when they,
2: when they get online and kind of show who they are.
1: And, you know, when you, you said that it, it was, he's supposed to be kind of this voice of the everyman, but he's constantly making crass jokes, getting names wrong, all these certain things uh, that, that you just touched on. Uh, how much of that is pulled from your experience as someone who worked in sports media and then has to deal with kind of everyone in your life and even like casual acquaintances that you meet at parties immediately being like oh you you work in sports radio okay i'm going to just talk sports at you for the next hour and have nothing else to talk about with you basically
2: yeah that um i don't miss those moments honestly um no it's, it's like it's one of those things where when people hear you do get like and i'm i'm not like i'm not filating myself here but it's like this local celebrity vibe you get right off the top and i and i just would always think like oh if you only fucking knew like it's it's not like that at all it's it's not it's it's it's, it's bad hours the pay is is poor don't get me wrong people in in good spots make good money there's no doubt about that but um yeah, they 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 would they would talk you up big time, and, and then you get deep into these conversations. I remember going to uh, an ex girlfriend's Christmas party, and one of her colleagues' boyfriends like he cornered me for literally three hours, and he talked everything from from the Canucks to the rest of the National Hockey League to to the Seahawks to all of the NFL, and I was just like, Jesus Christ, get me the fuck out of here, and and it was. It was painful, um, but you know, I I got through those times. Um, and but it was it was it was really weird, you know. And I, I might be going off a little bit here, but it was really weird to see these people get so so like intrigued by by the business and that side of it.
1: Uh, when yeah, we're not. I'm not living a glamorous lifestyle, and I mean, maybe you uh, with your marketing gig on on the side, <laughs> bringing not, all kinds of cash. And Who I'm, knows?
2: Listen, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. do uh, i'm not trying to shit on anybody who is who is getting into the industry or who is not at um the top of his or her game right now but i i think what and you went to bcit i went to bcit we were obviously not in the not in the same um same year i was generation make, yeah well, I'm, I'm old um <laughs> not, no i think i when did i get out of there 2006 i think it was okay and and i think the thing is they 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 teach you well, you get great hands-on experience. But one of the things you don't learn, and maybe it's just because we're all naive, is that you're just not going to go in and get a great gig right away. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a fact. And and sometimes sometimes it works out. There are people who I went to who I went to school with, and granted that was, you know, almost 15 years ago, but they're in great spots and they're they're doing successful things. But there are a lot of people who have changed careers who didn't finish. Or there are people who are just aren't prepared to 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 go at it for for a long period of time. It's 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 not an easy industry, and we and we see that all the time with all the cutbacks. It's. Um, you know, it, it's painful to see, you know, Bell Media slashing jobs left, right, and center. I mean, and I say them because I see it frequently, but everybody's guilty of it. And it's it's just a, it's a tough business to be in.
1: Yeah, man. And one of the other things that I've talked about in the past, we had uh, Tom Power, the host of Q, uh, on the show last year. And mm-hmm. uh, I talked about going to the BCIT where part of the training is like they are – they they they're most concerned not with like training you how to do the job of journalism but how to put the professional polish and sheen on you so that if you were to step on TV as an on-camera reporter you would have that same kind of tone and style of presentation as is required uh, to do that job because, I mean, you you watch the news right now, uh, the people on the ground could be anyone, right? It's just that they have a certain voice, a certain presentation. That's what BCIT is instilling in you uh, on some (laughs) level, and it took me Uh, several years I think to be able to uh, to break down that uh, that teaching and and let my own personality come out again because I feel like I went into school with a lot of personality and idea of what I wanted to do and then they just put a bunch of makeup on top of me (laughs) and it's a process to kind of maintain the skills that you picked up but also let yourself shine through again and that's sort of what you were talking about with the way that people have kind of um, relaxed a little on Twitter uh, I guess as well. (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's weird. You go in with a certain confidence level and, and, you know, I don't want to say arrogance, but the thing is a part of the gig, you have to be confident. You, there's no doubt about that. I remember one of the first questions they asked the group of 40 or whatever the hell it was. And they're like, "What, what do you think you need to be successful in this program? And I think I said confidence and I got a couple of weird looks, but you need to have that. Um, but you're right. As as you go through, they they try to build up the professional angle, so to speak. But you do need to have fun with it. You 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 know you and and we've seen it now over the especially the past couple of years how how many different avenues um, people have gone down when it comes to trying their old their own thing. Whether um, you know is, is it lucrative? Not always, but. You you need to be able to branch out. You need to be able to try different things. You need to be able to 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 explore and 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 have fun, whether it's through video, whether it's podcasts, whether it's on radio, whatever the case.
1: Well, uh, I don't want to sound like James Lipton inside the Actors Studio right now, but can we can we talk to Ralph? <laughs>
0: Let me tell you something. What the
1: hell do you want? Ralph, it's, uh, it's great to hear your voice again. I, where have you been these last few years? Oh, you know I've been on the site. Busy times.
0: I, I don't care what the damn NDP says about all this money laundering. There's a lot of gigs going on right now. A lot of projects. Me and Johnny, we are busy sons of bitches.
1: A uh, tower's going up, obviously.
0: Yeah, I think one of the towers that you live in, actually. <laughs> you know the one, Francesco. <laughs> it's, true, it's true. He does own
1: the building that I live in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, around... He
2: owns everything. He owns everything. He
0: yeah. owns your
1: life. He really does in a lot of he's ways. He's your landlord. <laughs> he is. He really is. Some think he's a
0: slumlord, too. I don't know. <laughs>
1: uh. Oh, Ralph, did you see the, the story in the news last week about him uh, him withholding payment uh, overtime that was due to these international workers? Did you see that, Ralph? I, I, I remember scenarios like that, and let me tell you.
0: Johnny and I, we would show up with the baseball bats. We'd bring our knives, put them in our back pockets, and we would threaten to slash throats.
1: <laughs> Johnny and
0: I do not fuck around.
1: To, to get your own money or to withhold it from others? To
0: withhold it from others. You've seen the departed. <laughs>
1: I I have seen it uh, a few times actually. Did uh, oh, that did uh, that ever happen to you, Ralph? Though you know, I I, I know that sometimes uh, on these sites, the way the jobs go, if the if the budget runs over, not everyone always uh, gets their money in the end. Do you ever had to uh, to fight to get what's yours, Ralph?
0: It absolutely has. And what you do in those situations is you threaten your boss's family. That's what you do. You threaten you threaten them from. From him, tip to tail, the oldest person to the youngest baby, they are all under threat.
1: <laughs> Ralph, have you been keeping up with uh, with the team, obviously as well, in your downtime when you're not on the job site?
0: I have, I have. Uh, let let me let me tell you this, uh, Eliash Peterson, not a bad kid actually, not a bad fucking player. A little prick, life. I, 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 do you see that death stare? He he learned that from me. <laughs> I tell you that. Well that guy, he knows what's going on. He know you know what? Good to see the evolution of Bose all that's great to see. Great to see that bastard pick up his game. And uh you know what? Hopefully we hopefully Brock Bozo gets a bigger contract this year.
1: Sir <laughs> is, is there anyone on the team that you are not thrilled with that you that you have uh negative things to say, Ralph? Oh, you know
0: what? Uh, you know this uh, this Jacob Mockström character. I mean, <laughs> this guy, this guy. He has the whole goalie coach thing. Oh, yeah, I play twenty good games. I'm a starting goalie. Get the hell out of here.
1: Well, what about? No thanks. <laughs> what about Jake Vertanen? Shotgun Jake. He's uh, become a beer drinking sensation. That's got to appeal to the working man, right?
0: I I tell you what about about Jake Vatanen, you know, he, I think the goal was 20. He was never going to get that. But let me tell you, he encouraged the blue collar to drink more. And that is what is beautiful. It is fantastic. It's great to see people drink.
1: I love it. Uh, well, well, you know, speaking of of money and 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 uh, wage theft and all that kind of thing, uh, Ralph, I just one last question for you, and then I'll let you get back to the site oh. because I know you guys are working well into the night. Please, it's late. <laughs> well, how about how about Louis Erickson, Ralph? How do you feel about him? Oh, little things. Oh my
0: goodness, that that son of a bitch! If he was on the job site, he 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 probably would have been murdered years ago. You would not find him, okay? Six million dollars for nothing. He's a foundational player. Yeah, you'd find him in the foundation. That's exactly it. You you too, Brandy Sutter. You too.
1: Oh, well, Ralph, uh, a pleasure catching up with you. Um, uh, You know, things got a little dark there, but I don't know what I expected. I should have known better.
0: You should have known better, Richard Marks. You really should. Okay, you too, Ed. Gotta go.
1: <laughs> oh my god, that was tremendous. Uh, Oh boy. Well, uh, you know, speaking of uh, Francesco Aquilini, Mike, I think I have Mike back again now, right?
2: That was, that was a seamless transition, really. <laughs> yeah, well, um,
1: you know, uh, he, he, he's someone... I don't know how much you keep up with the team still now that you're down in L.A., but just going by uh, your Twitter, uh, the the cultural phenomenon, uh, uh, the character of Francesco Accellini as he presents himself uh, on his own Twitter uh, seems to be a, a, a point of fascination for you.
3: <laughs> well... <laughs>
2: I you know I I want to, I, okay. Listen, I don't. I have nothing against Francesco, uh, and I'm I'm talking. I, I you ever notice when you talk about somebody in like in the first name, like your buddies with them? I'm not friends with them either. Um, so when I say I want to I want to be friendly about Francesco, I don't know the guy. But he's just like, know, like we, a
1: character. That's why you feel like you're on a first probably.
2: Basis. Pro- yeah, probably. I mean, we're we're both Italian. We both grew up in East Van. We are years apart. He went to my high school in East van. Uh, so we do share a couple things. Um, but his, you know, his Twitter account is uh, pretty disastrous. Um, it's, and, and it's, it's painful to watch. Um, I haven't been blocked yet, which is a good thing because I need access to those tweets. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious as you know, you always hear tales about how, how and and what and people speculate how things are being run and what the situation is behind the scenes of the Canucks and 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 i I don't know I don't know what to say I, I don't know where where this team goes with with him at the helm um he seems to have a bit of an itchy trigger finger and um we, we've seen that I think a couple times with head office people maybe being shown the door um, or difference of opinion or maybe siding with this person over that. So I, I, I'm, it's, it's, it's tough because, um, you know, the, the, the team is a bit of a laughingstock at times. And um, while I'm not necessarily a fan of the Canucks, I do follow the Canucks and it, it's for all the jokes. It is tough to, it's tough to watch it all transpire.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the the itchy trigger finger, um, and it seems like lately we could use a little bit more of that, but he has become um, kind of obsessed with his own self-image and how he is perceived uh, by, I guess, the media and the marketplace and the hockey world in general, because, uh, you know, you hear rumors that like, well... I think on some level he would have liked to move on from these guys a little while ago personally, but he doesn't want the perception of this impossible person to work for who's always going to, uh, you know, wind up uh, putting your head through the chopping block if you happen to work under him. And that's, I guess, uh, understandable on some level, but also insane, to to go through your your you know working life, uh, uh, being worried about what people are going to say because I'm. Um you know, I, I think there's obviously problems with this current regime. I'm not calling for all of them to be fired, but certainly things ended acrimoniously with Trevor Linden, and he was supposed to be like the unfirable unfireable hire. And they even framed it like uh, like they used the same. I've used this joke a lot, but it's the Chris Martin Gwyneth Paltrow divorce. It was a conscious uncoupling of a team from their president. And, and you've got Linden coming out being like, no, that's this is obviously not the way things went down. But he's worried about the perception of him in that situation. And he's worried about the perception of him if he were to, you know, pull the trigger and and clean house on this front office again, which, you know, probably wouldn't be the worst thing the way things have gone here.
2: But the thing is, somebody hired those people. Yes. Right. So, and I'm not saying that now you're going to be forced to sell the team. I mean, it doesn't work that way. Um, But I also. I'm a firm believer in the fact, and, and I can say this from a, from a personal standpoint, being, uh, having the Italian background, Italians are stubborn sons of bitches. And he's not going to much like many Italians will not own up to and say, I'm wrong. He, he's not, he, he's not going to do that. He's mm-hmm. not going to voluntarily say we fucked up. We hired the wrong people. We are behind. This is going to be a long rebuild. He's not going to say all the things that I think more than a few people want to hear. Um, and and he's a he's a very proud guy you know he he he's so committed to get uber and lyft in vancouver and uh, you know he that's 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 kind of his narrative now and uh, outside of blueberry farms whatever fucking berry it was but there's it's it's a bit of a shit show and you know there there was i i saw a couple and this has been speculated for a while but he might be kicking at the white caps as well uh and there was no pun intended there but trying to maybe buy them um I I don't know I you know he, he seems to he seems to know what he's doing when it comes to the the uh, business away from hockey you know he's yeah. he's done extremely well his family has a lot of money they're one of the richest families in, in Canada I'm probably top ten for sure so they they've expanded that whole empire um yeah but but the hockey team, you know it's, it's it's been a tough ride over the past what five years now
1: yeah well I mean not to slip into my own Ralph voice, but he, he's so committed to bringing in Uber and Lyft when he should be <laughs> uber committed to giving this team a lift.
2: Oh my goodness
1: <laughs> I,
2: I, I might faint. <laughs> <laughs> that was committed on your part. Oh wow. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I agree though. I agree. <laughs> Save me someone. I agree though. <laughs> no, he he yeah, but he's he's not uh he, he's not doing that though. I, I don't know. I mean, I I there here's another one. Just going back to Ralph for a minute. I mean, Ralph took would take shots at at Jimbo as an example. Um you don't need to be Ralph to do that, but he would he would take shots at at Jimbo's brains. But, you know, I I just, I, what is John Weisbrod doing there? And that's another guy that Ralph would carve. Well, you're,
1: you're fascinated with him too. I can tell from your, your Twitter too.
2: The the ongoing joke about, about him is the fact that, you know, this is the guy who, who, you know, what, he, he got Tracy McGrady and drafted Dwight Howard. I mean, this is basketball. Okay. And I know I I beat that joke to death and
1: I don't fucking care. No, but it's still, it's still valid. It's
2: still. It is. And. And and it was it was funny. I want to say back in March or April. I I just. When, you know, you go down one of these, like, rabbit holes online, and you search one thing, and it leads to the next, and it leads to the next. Mm-hmm. And I remember one night, I think I was, my, my my daughter woke up, and she wouldn't go back to sleep, and I was trying to rock her back to bed, and, and all that bullshit. And, and I had my phone, and I started looking at, like, John Wisebrod and going, like, old news stories, and seeing, you know, just the whole history of how it all played out. And there was a Twitter account, I don't know who it was, um, I don't recall the handle, but they they literally posted like everything. It was like 713 tweets. It was ridiculous, but it was like this great expose on John Wisebrod and how he, he climbed the ranks at the Orlando solar bears and then was really tight with the ownership who of course owned the Orlando magic. And then he just got into that gig somehow. And, you know, this is a hockey guy and sure. I think he went to Harvard, but this is a hockey guy who ended up running a basketball team and now he's back in hockey. But, i i have difficulty believing he's a hockey guy so uh it's 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 just a it's a shit show for me and it's i will say this though because of all the laughs that it generates it's a lot of fun and you know at the end of the day i just care about my my twitter brand so (laughs) i get to have my laughs i get to make fun of tweets I, I get to pick at guys like Wise Broad so it's a good time.
1: Well, uh, you know, I think there was enough content probably in that Twitter thread and on the depth of of this kind of character examination of John Wise Broad to basically pack full an entire like, you know, Netflix true crime documentary <laughs> essentially. That
2: I I believe I actually <laughs> tweeted that. I said something <laughs> like this this should be a Netflix series.
1: And, and like you know, we had this article on the Athletic that uh, Israel Fair uh, wrote not not that long ago, talking to Jake Vertanen about uh, all these Lord of the Rings analogs within the team, because Jake is apparently this Lord of the Rings super fan. Well, uh, you know, it, the, the the number one Weisbrot analog is like is Grim a Worm Tongue, like? Or you know, we have a we have a little finger in Louis Erickson on the team. We also have a little finger in in Weisbrot in the front office, because like all this talk after Lyndon got. Let go last year was that this guy was just twisting the knife in his back to ownership the entire way along to force their hand to push Lyndon out, and it's it's wild that it seems like nobody talks about that. Like that's been it that's been out mm-hmm. there for a year, and like it doesn't get play hardly at all. Uh, and and the
2: fact that he's not going anywhere. I don't see him going anywhere because of his connection to to Quinn Hughes. I mean, there you know, is he not his godfather?
1: Something like that, I think. Yeah, he, he's he's super tight, uber tight, if you will, with uber.
2: with the Hughes family. And um, not to say that he's got a job for life, but I think I think I think he's sticking around. I mean, end of the day, they have the whole president position that's open. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't fucking know what happens with that. I, 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 you know, you, you'd think that maybe they'd, they'd give it to this, this uh, strong hockey mind, um, but I, I don't think that's going to happen either. But if that happens, you know, people like to work with their own people. So if you bring in a high-ranking person who's now essentially the new Aquilini guy, then you're going to have to start firing people. And that would be that would be GM and whatever the fuck Wise does, and then maybe Travis Green, and and it's just a trickle down effect. So, um, I I don't I, I don't I don't know. I'm really excited to see how it all plays out, but I don't know what's going to happen over the next little while.
1: Yeah, and the thing with Wise too is that like even his defenders uh, will point at the Calgary Flames and the success that they enjoyed as the number one team in the West and the young core that they've put together. Like, look at Calgary; these clearly. Calgary did not actually get good until the Canucks poached him to come over here, and they started making the proper decisions required (laughs) to lift a team from being kind of a middling contender into an actual powerhouse. So if you want to look at the Flames, even that doesn't really speak well to this guy's prowess uh beyond being the general manager of the orlando magic
2: (laughs) which is still it's so fucking hilarious to say out loud (laughs) it's like the gm of the orlando magic is basically running things of the vancouver canucks um but you know what he does you know i mean didn't he wasn't he there with benning in boston like there i don't
1: know yeah maybe
2: there's history there um you know he it's 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 just so bizarre and and just take going back to francesco you you think of him and this is probably in my like twitter draft somewhere it's a it's a big draft list but there's there's got to be a tweet somewhere where i'm i'm thinking at the end of the season when i think of francesco you know he, and he's this guy he's supposed to be this astute businessman and you know i would say he is because his family has a lot of money well the reason why they did that is because they made the right decisions um, I'm sure there's been some other things along the way but he he seems to know what he's doing so here we are what is it four years of crap essentially like not even mediocrity I don't think he'd stand for that at another business he he would not you know if 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 the leadership of one of his businesses was leading this company to four down years did they see a bit of an uptick recently sure but if if from that financial aspect from that background if it was going down wouldn't you make a move wouldn't you try to to bring in the people that can make the right calls bring in the new leadership and and, and here he is sitting on his hands
1: and even the uptick you know is all around drafting Elias Petterson essentially the the apocryphal tale of the drafting of that pick is that Jim and John did not want to do that. They wanted the other guy. They wanted Cody Glass out of Portland. And it was Trevor Linden and Judd Brackett and Thomas Gradeen who had to fight to make sure that they actually did pick Elias Pettersson at fifth overall. A year later, you know, Linden's not even in the job to see that pick pay off.
2: And I know Trevor Linden gets, gets like, shit on quite a bit um, still. But I think, I think he's... Um, you know his his name has has come a little cleaner over the last little while because I think of that group I'd like to think Lyndon had the most common sense because if he didn't I'd be really concerned but um, I just I just feel like he was probably one of the smarter guys around there um but at the same time i don't think he was given all the the power necessary and you know i look at it and i'm by no means am i a diehard lakers fan but I, I think it's very comparable in a way to magic johnson what happened to him down here and and he talked about it on 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 monday about how he you know just he was told he was going to have certain things but at the end of the day he didn't get those things And uh, honestly, the interview that he did with ESPN was probably I mean, that that was the best thing he's he's done. Like his Twitter account is an absolute fucking joke. And it made no sense that that was the same guy who tweets that shit. Yeah. So so the fact that he was able to reveal some of this info also showed that the Lakers are a shit show. But I I relate him a bit to how Trevor Linden was, how they, they just could not call all the shots and at the end of the day they both parted ways with respective organizations and i honestly i think from linden's standpoint he's got the whole club 16 thing and i think he's opened like 1300 more health clubs yeah orange
1: he, theory or whatever it is yeah i
2: mean the, he's a he's a, he's probably a pretty good businessman too he's not Aquilini standard in terms of money but he seems to know what he's doing and he's still got you know he still got a good look within vancouver he you know people when they when people think trevor linden they think that you know, as cliche and shitty as it sounds, but like, he's forever a Canuck. Yeah. You know, he's, he's that guy. They're going to think of the guy in back in 94 that had, had the blood dripping down the side of his face while hugging Kirk McLean. Like, you know, he's going to, they're going to think of, of him scoring the goals in game seven against the Rangers, all the moments. And, um, he's, He's always going to have that, and I don't think he's been tarnished too badly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think um, over the course of the last little while since he's been gone, I've developed my own sort of, uh, let's call it a black, yellow, red, and orange theory on what went on behind uh, the scenes there as he was gone. Wow. And and the, and that was, you know, I think it, it it only highlights the the difficulty, the thing that infuriates me in Francesco Aquilini on Twitter trying to present himself as, this common fan, because if you were a common fan, you would learn the lessons of a fan by watching this team year over year, right? And it seemed to me that Trevor Linden actually did, that he was the one guy in that group who was willing to say, we did make a mistake, and when we came in and said this was going to be easy, we can do this in a hurry, that was a mistake, because all of the word last summer was that the reason he got forced out was he was the one who said, actually, this is going to take time. This is going to take a significant mm-hmm. amount of time if you want to do it the right way. And we need to be committed to doing it the right way. And, you know, days, weeks later, he's got the knife in his back and he's out the door. Um and, and and that's frustrating because if, like, anyone watching this team, anyone watching the league, like, it shouldn't take things happening to your own team for you to learn things. <laughs> you can look at, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs. We all laughed our asses off at that team over the course of the last however many years until Shanahan arrived there when they started to do things the right way. If you're going to laugh at them as a fan, you should also be able to learn the lesson of them without having to go through it yourself. And it just seems like Aquilini is impervious to learning that lesson. And Well,
2: yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is I wasn't laughing at the Leafs. I was actually cheering for them visibly. <laughs> I was, I was pulling for the Leafs. I, There's myself, um, a lot of my colleagues when I worked in media, we were all cheering for the Leafs. And, you know, it it was, we were against the grain. You know, a lot of people didn't really care for us, but we pushed on. We fought for the Maple Leafs. Okay. So I, I I beg to differ.
1: Okay, so I know what you're driving at here, and this is in part uh, the reason why we, we wanted to do this show this week is that we've been getting into it uh, publicly and also privately in the DMs.
2: I, I still got it by the way when it comes to the radio segues. I'm gonna be honest. You
1: do, you do, uh, you really do. And we, uh, you know, I, I I wanted to bring you on so that we could um, so that we could fight each other. I want you to fight me, Mike, because um, I know you <laughs> want to fight me. So so, let's go. Let's drop the gloves, bud. Uh, this is all about, of course, the the footage that made the rounds after last Sunday's uh, Kawhi Leonard. I guess two Sundays ago now. Uh, game seven buzzer-beating winner in uh, the the semifinals in the Eastern Conference of the NBA playoffs. The only game seven buzzer-beater in NBA history, and <laughs> and a video makes the rounds of yeah. of the the newsroom. Yeah, in, in the Sportsnet Toronto headquarters, correct. Of all of the script writers and video editors who are responsible for cutting these highlight reels and putting uh, the show on the air, the 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 hidden faces, the people that you will never see, uh, who mm-hmm. make the nightly highlights happen, mm-hmm. um, and I want you to tell me, Mike. Uh, after you just spent uh, a good long while early in this conversation uh, eloquently explaining how this is not a luxurious job, how you have to be passionate and believe in what you do, <laughs> how you make awful money, how it's punishing and, and it is demoralizing to work this work uh, I want you to tell me why those to I want you to tell me why those people should not be able to experience joy.
2: you are. I, I want to say you—you you actually call it fleeting joy. Um, you are permitted to be a fan. You—you you are. Uh, you, every listener, me—we're all allowed to be fans. But, and I think when it comes to local radio, um, local television, so for in, in Toronto, two sports radio stations and, and the multiple. Uh, TV stations and networks that that cover TV, you're always going to have that that um, that angle, so to speak, of being local. The thing that that kills me is the national uh, outlets, and there's two there's there's TSN and there's Sportsnet, and I just I, I can't I, I can't um, accept it when I see that type of fanboy or fangirl uh the homerism that takes place um i you can argue oh toronto's the the only canadian nba team are are we going to do that I, is that is that the 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 spin we're going to use here i mean i like I, the raptors <laughs> i i just think okay but the, the i think I, I think there's there's false equivalence in all of this, you know, because we, I, it's Raptors aren't the only ones. And, and for a bigger picture in this, it's not me like hating Toronto. I've been to Toronto a few times. I actually think the city's fantastic. I'm a big fan of Toronto. I have no issue with Toronto fans. I just do not like the media based in Toronto who let their bias through, you know, we, we laugh at the Maple Leafs. Apparently I would never do that, but we, what, what do people call TSN? The Toronto Sports Network. They call it the Toronto Sports Network. And that is mainly because, uh, say, a show like SportsCenter will lead off their show. And granted, they do have a lot of viewers in Toronto. There's no disputing that. But they will start off their fucking show talking about who's centering the Leafs' fourth line. And so people, likely across the country, but certainly in Vancouver, a place I grew up and lived basically all my life, would always say... Toronto Sports Network, Toronto this, Toronto that. So now, if the Raptors or Blue Jays do something great, and these people make it front and center, that's totally fine. I I, I don't get it. I why do why do they get a free pass? And this applies to like there's you talked about the people behind the scenes, the editors, the writers, whoever. I get that, but there are people, even the on air personalities, who are at games wearing the shirts they are sitting courtside somehow um they are are pulling so hard for these teams to a point where when they go on TV they're literally cheering while their highlight show is is happening they are over the moon and then if that team is to lose it's a fucking funeral and it doesn't work for me that's not how it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be biased it's not supposed to be slanted it doesn't work that way, but can- you have to, you have to be objective in this job. You, you have to be neutral. It, it, it has to make sense.
1: Can, but there's another side of that though, which is that the success of these teams literally powers our livelihoods, right? Like, I, th- there was a an article making the rounds last week in one of the national newspapers that like a cooking show is currently pulling in better ratings on a week over week basis than the Stanley Cup playoffs because once all of the Canadian teams were out once all the powerhouse teams were out in the first round people's interest fell off and this is a a a cultural landscape where ad rates are dependent on interest and ad rates in some level power our uh, incomes as well. So I'm look, I'm not going to say that your point isn't taken on some level and that you're not correct at all, but uh, and the show is done, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that there is an element to, you know, your ratings, your, your income, your livelihood is dependent on these teams doing well and people wanting to continue to hear about them. Right.
2: I, I, uh... uh, I understand what you're saying, but I think things have to be done in and I, I listen, I love I love jokes. I, I've, I've been joking for probably three quarters of this whole thing. But at, at the end of the day, I'm not going to lose sleep over the subject. Yeah. I will sleep very comfortably this evening and the next 14 after that, the 15th, maybe not. But <laughs> what, what I'm saying is, is that things for me have to be reported in a very neutral way down the middle manner. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, uh, some people also want to say, "Oh, well, you can't compare it to politics. You can't. You just can't do that. You can't, you know, you're going to what are you going to tell me? Stick to sports." I've heard that a few times. But why do, for example, and perhaps this is a reach, I don't personally think it is, but why do liberals criticize Fox News? Why do they why do they criticize Fox News? Cuz it's partisan. Be- because it's extremely partisan, and why do people—Republicans, conservatives, whatever you want to call them—criticize the likes of CNN or MSNBC? Because it's partisan. Because huh? it's too liberal. They don't. They don't see their viewpoint. Well,
1: reality has a liberal bias on some level as well to those people, but um, that's a, another. That's another <laughs> conversation, I think.
2: The, the the fact is, and and again, it's just for me, it. it you, you can't report you have to you, I don't have to again I've been talking about being carefree and having fun mm-hmm. but there's a line um there I think there's a line to it and when it comes to whether it's news, whether it's sports you you just can't get over that line and I and I I, I mean I honestly me on Twitter I thrive on that shit I love when they're and it, unfortunately for Toronto it's a lot of the teams that. That are from there that that get this. I mean, this. I I think I started to speak out more when it had to do more with Toronto FC a few years ago. Okay, because they were spinning this this narrative about how oh, uh, against all odds, Toronto FC is going to MLS Cup, and I was like, Toronto FC spends ten million more dollars than the next closest team. Like, give me a fucking break. What are you talking about? Like,
1: they're not an underdog.
2: (laughs) Like seriously, this is not this is not a dodgeball and underdog story. Come on, like, yeah. Th- this is th- they have money. It's not against all odds. They should be where they're at, and and th- they would they would spin. And I think you know it would. And I'm not there anymore to watch Sports Center every day. But it it then affects the again going back to politics. It affects the line of questioning when it goes to the manager to the coach to sometimes the players they don't want to pick out the bad spots they don't they don't want to they they don't want to analyze and and pick them apart as much because everything's everything's fine and dandy and you know what if our team wins we are so fucking happy and when they lose oh it was just a tough one it just just didn't work out for them we're not going to call out the fact that that you know fuck a leonard missed 30 shots or whatever um it's 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 just a thing that annoys me. And I think you know I think lines are really blurred when it comes to to the industry. And I think I mean, there is something to the to the fact, and we see it in Vancouver, too. There are a lot of people who start off as as fan bloggers. So when they get into that position to be on press row, You know, that's when it can get a little dicey. And I I don't know about your time at BCIT, but I remember hearing and we were able to go to Canuck games, but they apparently uh, prior to my time at BCIT, the Canucks had pulled the plug on on students on on, you know, broadcast journalism, radio, TV students going to Canuck games to cover them because the fan Part of it got in the way, yeah. and, and they were getting too excited. They were cheering on Press Row. You can't do that shit.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with that. I I'm not in favor of you know cheering on Press Row. You hear about that sometimes uh, on Twitter as it pertains to. Uh, you know the 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 media in Boston that covers the Bruins, and that uh, I do think is disgusting. And it shouldn't only bother me when it is a team like the Bruins that I truly despise, right? It should be <laughs> it should be a problem everywhere. And I do agree that it has no place. In the press box, though, if you're going to watch something like the Kawhi, uh, you know, Game Seven winner, you should be able to pump your fist a little bit at a moment like that because there is a part of you that wants to experience that moment as a fan because that's why you got into this business in the first place. If you weren't passionate about it, you wouldn't want to do it. And the reason that I think that this is different than uh, political coverage is that politics, you know, in the case of a lot of people, uh, you know, sometimes the politics for the pundit class is just sort of a a game that we play it's like sports it's a team sport and it's covered like a team sport on television but for a lot of the people on the ground this is this is life and death stuff the quality of their life is hugely dependent on these outcomes whereas sports is a trivial distraction that exists to take our minds away from everything i just said about politics right so you you just told me to stick to sports but no i didn't i didn't (laughs) I didn't because i fuck with you. Um,
2: <laughs> but, but but a little bit you did. But but I, I understand I, I do understand that argument, but you know, it's 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 just a case I, I, I'm I'm just so like passionate about that you you have to you have to call things as even as you can. I'll be brutally honest. If if I was in a position to cover a team that I loved I don't know if I could do it. And granted, there's not many teams I really love anymore. As you get older, you just don't care as much. Mm-hmm. And and growing up, I did like the Canucks a lot. Um, as you know, I grew up in East Vancouver. I grew up near the Coliseum. I was a big Canuck fan growing up. But as I got older, it started to die off a little bit. And then when I got in the industry, it it really petered off. I'd say probably after like after 2011, when I was working at the station back then known as Team 1040, I wasn't a fan really anymore. But I would, you know, so I would say like the Seahawks, for example, a team I love. I don't know if I could work to cover the Seahawks because I know I have that personal bias. And and I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a Raptors fan, you have no right to cover the Raptors. I'm not saying that. I mean, if you have that job, you're extremely fortunate. You should be thrilled for having that job. But all I'm saying is you just... You just got to watch out when it comes to that line of fan versus professional media
1: member. But, and I would say one more thing on this issue, and you can counter it, and I I just don't want to continue beating this horse for the next however long. We're going to go
2: on for six more hours.
1: (laughs) All I would say is that, like, think about the conversation that we've just had where I have gone in on John Wisebrod and Francesco Aquilini and Jim Benning and all these ways these guys have uh, disappointed me and and Louis Erickson. You know, uh, the list goes on. I don't think I would have the the passion to be as critical as I am about the things that go wrong if I was not also kind of uh, secretly still a fan at heart. You know, like the, there's there's two sides of that. It's like, yes, I want to see them do well, but if they're not doing well and if there are all of these issues, who better to savage the team and point out everything that they're doing wrong?
2: I think I think there are people, yourself included, that are capable of that. I also think there are not people that are... That are capable of that that's that's the thing and i and i i think there are, are more than a few out there that that you know they they don't even straddle that line they just go on on in my opinion the wrong side of it and are just a fan through and through and and they let it shine um you know um i think back to to that that game the infamous shot and i mean end of the day it wasn't really a nice shot i mean it went in but it, like a a nice shot it's nothing but net obviously (laughs) but the drama it had everything um you know nobody was nobody was calling out um in that game because he hit that shot and i think he finished with like 41 or something but i mean the guy took like 40 something shots i think um and, and you know you maybe i'm just being too picky maybe maybe i'm expecting too much but you know i i would you'd have to You have to pick through and you you have to see the whole story and you have to you have to tell it like it is. Um, So, again, maybe I just expect too much in this whole thing because but now we can't be mad if Leafs coverage leads the respective highlight shows from the national network. And they're talking about a stupid thing to do with the Maple Leafs about who's on the third pairing or whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I guess that's that's a that's a fair point, I suppose. Though, I mean, that is the top story, though, right? To me, it I, you know, when the when the Jays were making their run, when the bat flip was front and center of everything, that was the top story of not just the sports reel, but the national news. If you were to tune into CBC, the national, they were putting that ahead of you know, there was a federal election going on at the time, and the bat flip was still story number one. So, you know, I I Did you just Fox News me there? I don't I don't
2: know if I believe that. Was that actually That true? is
1: true, yes. There was a federal campaign going on during that Jay's playoff run and the the playoff run, the bat flip, wow. and the way those games were boosting bar business—not just in t- Toronto, but right across Canada—like they had three of the top five stories on the national newscast uh, over the course of you know that day and the days afterwards. So like this is not just a sports thing, and and I think that those moments are earned, that they do have cultural clout in a way that you know, yes, picking apart the minutiae of uh, Maple Leaf's depth uh, does not. <laughs> uh.
2: it's, it's true. No, I I, I get that. And, and I mean, and I, I do recall, obviously, the national election and everything happening at that time. I'm mm-hmm. just questioning whether or not that was a lead story. That's concerning. I think I, I for me, it's concerning. I think a big thing, and I think I said this to you offline, was the fact that um, you know, a a lot of these networks tend to hire people from their own backyard. So then you're just hiring the fan, right? You're hiring the person who grew up on the Leafs, who grew up on the Jays, whatever the case, Um, you know, I'm sure they're qualified for the gig. That's great. Um, But then you're getting a a specific story. Um, I don't know. There's, there's, there's just, like I said, there's arguments to be made and, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to get out of it now, but you know, you know what I mean? Like growing up in now, I know you didn't grow up in Vancouver, but growing up in Vancouver, you know, it's, it's always been that thing with, with Toronto sports network. So I just find it very interesting. I did grow up see. in
1: Vancouver actually.
2: Okay. I made that up. I, I, fake, I don't that's know you. Fake I don't, don't want to know you, <laughs> but, um, I knew there was some Ontario tie in. Okay. But 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 if, as as someone who's grown up in Vancouver, as you have, you've long known the whole Toronto Sports Network thing.
1: Yeah, of course, of course. I just think in these specific moments, the bat flip, the Kawhi shot, like these are transcendent moments. Like these, these deserve that coverage. Um, and and I think that the, there's people who are making the argument that you're making, who are just lumping it in with the way Toronto always leads, and are not able to separate that from. You know something that actually fully deserves it, like like this is. And maybe you'd believe that it doesn't deserve it. Maybe you're not a basketball fan. Maybe you just don't like the Raptors. That's totally fair as well.
2: I I actually am a big basketball fan.
1: Um, no, well, I I'm, I'm a, just, I don't know you either. Fan. Then there <laughs> we go.
2: I'm a huge fucking basketball fan. Um, but I this I think the thing is f- for me, and again, maybe I'm getting too deep into it. When I think the bat flip, you know, it it was great and it was a moment it was but for me i think joe carter hitting the world series winning home run that's like a moment to me yeah that i mean because that was like an end result Kawhi, i mean it's a conference semi of a series that they should have won um it's a great moment there's no doubt about that i i mean and i'm a big Kawhi leonard fan it's not even against him um but uh, again i just think uh, these things tend to get a little overblown we get a certain spin on it and it it's something that uh that that annoys me but also that i have a lot of fun picking apart online i mean i have i have like i said i love i love making bad jokes and i love winding people up and it tends to work <laughs> um, worked on no, me uh, no uh <laughs> no, not mentioning any names or anything but um Think, speaking of Kawhi, and this is a true story, and I've mentioned this to a few people, it's, this concerns me a lot because, as I said, I love basketball. I really don't give a shit for the Raptors. But uh, a colleague of mine, and, and again, I'm, I'm down here just outside of Los Angeles, and I work just outside of L.A. in El Segundo. A colleague of mine uh, is actually uh, like best friends or something with Kauai, one of Kawhi's sisters. Really? All right. So he's got, he's got the uh, background, I believe, of Compton and Riverside, California. And he went to high school, I think, in Riverside, and then went to was it San Diego State or something like that. So she came up to me and was like, she knows I'm Canadian, and they think everything in Canada is so close to one another. And they're like, oh, she goes, oh, you must like Toronto. And then I, I was like, do you follow me on Twitter? Like I, <laughs> I We nearly got into a fight at that point. But they also think like, they don't understand that. Vancouver to Toronto is essentially LA to New York, but yeah, I, di- I digress. Um, but anyways, so I said, okay. So after I told her um, repeatedly that I'm not a Raptors fan, I said, so like, do you do you know anything? Do you, again, I'm reaching here, but like, do you know? Do you, what does he want to do? Where's he gonna go next? Is he staying? Is he gonna is he gonna stay in Toronto? Does he want to come to LA? And the big thing with, yeah, I mean, we know how Kawhi is and how how, I mean, you see that, that clip of him laughing. He's a bit of an awkward guy. Um, you know, and, and the, the Lakers are rumored, but the Clippers have have a lot of power too. They could probably get him. She says to me, you know what? He actually likes it there. He's, he's gotten over the cold, and he, he likes Toronto. And I, I, I nearly, like, fell to the floor crying. I, I'm truly concerned about this. Because, I mean, way back when, when the trade was made for DeMar DeRozan, I was like, oh, my God, they got this guy for a year and he's gone. But I think, I mean, everybody was guilty of that. I, I'm curious to see if he actually sticks around. He, he, um, I mean, he's a very low-key guy. A, a, a guy, I, I went to a conference, another guy went to high school with Kawhi Leonard, he mm-hmm. was telling me. Because, again, the Toronto-Canada connection. And he said, he said, he said, what you see is what you get from that guy. That guy, he just loves to play basketball and he loves to
1: smoke weed that's all he does i love it i love it
2: so, so apparently my man apparently he's pretty comfortable in canada so and,
1: and i gotta say you might you can rip me for having uh, multiple rooting interests but the clippers are also uh my team from my time oh my spent god. in la so really either either way the everything that you just told me like i can't i can't lose no matter how this goes down
2: oh my god you should pick a couple more teams <laughs>
1: Well, I also like Portland and Denver. but uh...
2: <laughs> And I like Golden State.
1: <laughs> no, I do not go that far. Um... <laughs> uh, I was going to say, though, because uh, I, I, ha- I did a show last week talking to everyone about um, it, it, both in fans and media around the Raptors, where they were and recounting their experience uh, around that shot. Uh, I think the big moment that everybody thinks of with the Canucks uh, is Burrow's goal to slay the dragon, and I was kind of of relating my own personal experience as, you know, maybe a media member who deserves to be canceled uh, and just pushed off to sea (laughs) on a nice flow forever for my own personal biases. But I was on the sports desk at BCIT as a student, and that is why uh, (laughs) students were not allowed in the press box when I was at BCIT, because it was (laughs) 2011 and there was just no room for us anywhere. Um <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh yeah I I remember that goal happening I was watching it with three other people in the newsroom at the time working evenings on Evolution Radio and we all just ran into the center of the newsroom and were just kind of group hugging jumping and dancing having the time of our lives it's one of the great sports memories of my entire life uh and as you uh were working um at the Team 1040 at the time I will ask you where were you that night that Burrows slayed the dragon?
2: Uh, sadly, I was actually just home
1: that night. So you were allowed and, to pump your fists on the couch then and get fired. Oh, I, I was, I was. You
2: should have seen me. I mean, we we had the, the I had the iPhone going. I was taking I was taking video of me um, cheering alone. I posted it to my Twitter account, which I, had, I think I had like 300 followers at the time. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. No, I, I, I was um, no, I, I honestly, I was watching that alone. I think very sadly. I actually don't like to watch big games with a lot of
1: people. Yeah, this actually was something that came up a lot last week too. Is it's just like two, it's compounded stress on top of a stressful situation.
2: As I said, I don't have many teams. Um, I have, I have uh, the Seattle Seahawks. I. You know, I'm a big soccer guy, so I like my Italian soccer. I have a club in Italy. I have the Italian national team. I have the Italian national hockey team now after they staved off relegation from the Worlds, uh, beating those bastards Austria in a shootout. (laughs) Uh, so it's, it's clubs and countries like that that I pull for. I'm, I'm enjoying
1: I, you revealing your biases right now. I'm making exactly. a, a running tally right now of all the things to not take you seriously on. And I and I cover the Seahawks so intensely. I mean, I
2: <laughs> I am there in the locker room every day in Seattle. Um, but, but all these all when all of these teams have big games, I tend to just be home either alone or like with a buddy like i i cannot i cannot fucking go to a bar and watch a big game with a bunch of people i don't know i get thrown off with people behind me saying the stupidest shit well i can't do it
1: okay well the fact that you're feeling any sort of stress watching that game at all i think reveals to me everything i need to know <laughs> oh yeah we're gonna do that now. we're <laughs> gonna do that
2: huh? well i will say this i will say this in 2011 when I was doing when I was doing the show with uh with Jason and Mike, we went down to San Jose to watch games three and four, of that of that
1: series. Yeah, game so four. I, game four. Honestly, the best game uh, uh of my life. Uh, my favorite Canucks game ever. You get against the Sharks. Yeah, you get Sammy Salo scoring mm-hmm. three goals in like a forty-five second span because one of them got waved off, and then he still scored two more uh you've got uh uh, Henrik Sedin doing the through the five hole pass on the Emmy to Burroughs on the doorstep which is my favorite goal in Canucks history uh you know that game celebrated its eight year anniversary earlier this week so I figured I would take the opportunity as you bring it up to uh, just talk about how fucking special and wonderful that was as a viewing experience for me so yeah I I do enjoy these things I do let myself feel the joy of these moments
2: as you should, the fleeting joy. And and let's not forget, post-game four, uh, myself, some friends, we all saw Francesco Aquilini enter the go-to bar in San Jose. And there was a story, I believe, that was on Deadspin after. There was. I, I remember and this. I, and I tell you what, I'm pretty sure it happened. I'm pretty sure it happened. There were a lot of drunk Canuck fans down there at the time. And Francesco was certainly at that bar after the game.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I have friends who were partying with him that night. I heard p- stories myself about all that. So, yeah. So yeah, be, be sure to go
2: down that, uh, that Google <laughs> rabbit hole to find that story. Well,
1: um, I'll try and find it. I'll post it on the blog that accompanies this episode. So look right, right that.
2: next to his right next to his emails to Tom Brady. We need to go back to those too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> A couple more things before I let you go, Mike. Um, uh, obviously, you mentioned in passing, very briefly earlier when we were talking about Francesco, uh, that he was looking perhaps at kicking the tires on on buying the Whitecaps. Uh, with the, you know, I know we've spent the the better part of this conversation kind of being very critical of his role as owner of the Canucks, and I know you said it's not like he can be forced to sell it or anything. Um, but given the the tire fire that is just surrounding whitecaps fc right now here in vancouver uh would that be the worst thing in the world for him to kind of take over that scene as well
2: i i i you know what what's funny is you know and i i i've done so many soccer shows vancouver specific uh over the years i mean i was i i started doing them back in like 2008 up until like a year and a half ago. So I you know I, I talked a lot of caps and and so much about the team, the on the field and off of it. Um I don't I don't know if it's a good move for him. They're they're in they being the White Caps are in like a fucking hell of a spot right now. They have done some uh awful things PR-wise in my opinion. Um obviously with the accusations, the blog posts um, that that are out there, and and the just the lack of communication
1: and for for those who are not aware, it's essentially like covering up an abuse scandal that was perpetrated by a coach uh, in their women's program. And then there's another entirely different situation where they yeah. hired someone to run their um, I think one of their youth programs who had been. Outed basically, and given the boot from working uh, in British club soccer because in he England, had, yeah, he'd used uh, you know uh, racial slurs against black players on his team, and they were willing to completely overlook the, all of these things, and uh, you know have been thoroughly involved in perpetrating cover-ups of, of their own as well. So I just wanted to yeah. touch on that a little bit more if someone yeah, was not that, aware.
2: That, that that's a good call on your part. Uh, I I shouldn't assume, um, but I think. <sighs> I, I honestly, I, I don't know what the caps are going to do They're They're in a like if you look at the situation and, and again, I, when I talked about Aquilini before I talk about business, I'm not trying to be all corporate Mike here, but you, these things are businesses. Mm-hmm. And when you look at businesses like the Canucks or in this case, the white caps, and you, you think of, um, you, you think of things that have happened at say universities, scandals or financial institutions, Things that have happened on the watch of people, um, those people get nailed for it. And the thing with the white caps right now is the, the three key players from an executive standpoint are still there. And they've been there for, you know, back when I was talking soccer in 2008. But, of course, one of those people is Bob Leonard-Ducey, is... Um, he, he. I mean, he's he's buddies with media. He is um, the soccer guy in Vancouver. He's very much the face. He's kind of the face of the Whitecaps.
1: Oh, he's kind of the face of soccer in Canada in general. To, to a certain to generation. Extent.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he was he was there when Canada qualified in '86, and there's there's a lot there. And um, you know, they they the ownership right now. Um, They've kind of kept him away from a lot of this. Uh, he should speak. He's not. I don't. They're not moving anytime soon. In in a lot, like I said, in a lot of businesses, businesses, a person like him, history, all the nostalgia aside, they'd get their asses fired. And and honestly, I think a lot of the people who have been affected by what's happened. Uh, especially from from the the women's side of, of the scandal the abuse that's that's being thrown around his involvement from you know hearing about it and passing along the word and not doing much about it at the time those 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 accusations um you know again in any line of business if it's if it's you, you think of like a financial institution if if there's like uh, a, a leak or something, or or some sort of information is hacked. Like heads roll. Like this is this is just what happens. Yeah. And this type of situation, I'm not gonna sh- I'm not gonna say it's like um a, a Michigan State or something like that when it comes to that type of abuse. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't even want to go down the path of saying types of abuse because it affects everybody in in certain ways and um. I I just I'm I don't know what they're gonna do because I think they're they're in a a really bad situation. I think they've dealt with it extremely poorly and I don't think I I, I wouldn't wanna be them right now. Yeah, it took them almost
1: two months for them to deal with it at all and then you know, what they did was uh, was basically just write this letter that that said nothing. So, yeah. And,
2: and yeah, and it, there wasn't there, there wasn't a lot of empathy. There wasn't uh, a lot of concern and, and care in it. And I know there's been meetings with the supporters groups and and, you know, some of the ownership with Jeff Mallett. Um, but I know some of the executives have been part of it. But I think they're in they're in a hell of a case right now, and and I I, I don't know what they're going to do. I personally don't think they're really going to budge. I think they're going to stay with their executives. Um, is it the right call? I don't think it is. Yeah, um, and the, but they're I, I, already again, they're going to get caught up in the history. They have been caught up in the history of of who's been running things for so long, um, and, and the, 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 just the. This is this is stuff away from the field. On the field, for a long time, a lot of diehard fans have called for heads to roll because they're not happy with the current regime, the board, if you will. And here we are seeing a very real life scandal take place, and nobody's nobody's going anywhere. So, um, you know, if if they're going to do that to the to the guy who was, um, you know, the the face of Vancouver soccer and the face of, of men's Canadian soccer, perhaps for a while, it, I think it's it's going to be a it's going to be a huge, huge like decision for for all those owners.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, I think a lot of talk on sports talk radio over the last four years that the Canucks have been less than good shall we say is that like oh the Whitecaps have a huge opportunity here to really captivate the market and and rise up and become the top team in vancouver as a as a winning contender that really has a ton of fan interest and on some level like the executive board that you just talked about has almost banked on that not happening like it's good for them that they have not become a focal point because everything that's problematic in the way that they've run the team not just from this scandal that's come up over the last little while but like you said you know the this kind of uh uh disinterest in making bold moves to do exactly what TFC did when you were complaining about them being presented as an underdog Vancouver (laughs) could do that they don't choose to do it and the fact that nobody's really paying attention just kind of uh, drives home the fact that they can sort of do whatever they want, and no one's really going to hold their feet to the fire for it.
2: This is going to sound extremely arrogant, but I am like I'm honestly convinced that if I was given a, a decent budget—I don't know what their player salaries are this year, maybe around eight to ten, 10 million—if if I was given fifteen million dollars, I could make that Caps team a contender. And and again, it sounds maybe a bit arrogant, but honestly there there is there feels like there's such a lack of ambition when it comes to taking that team to the next level and it, it, it's like they just go through the motions you know um for for years there was this belief that oh well we can pull the tarps back at bc place and we can we, you know we can fucking get you know with 35 40,000 people we want to do what seattle's doing we want to have games where it's a derby match against portland or seattle and there's going to be 60,000 people maybe a little less at BC Place because of the capacity, but you know what I mean. They're yeah, like, hell yeah. It's going to be a full fucking house. And they've just never gotten to that level. And it's just, it's year after year. And the stories, I mean, th- that type of story um, when it comes to, oh, this is, this is the opportunity for the Whitecaps to take. The Canucks suck. And the Lions, <laughs> nobody goes to Lions games anymore. But the thing is, it comes up, it- it's, like, it's like when hot weather comes to Vancouver, like after like, nine months of rain you know it's like hey let's go to the patio and get our freebie story here (laughs) it's like it's a bit of a cough out but the caps never jump on it i don't understand why like like their owners have money but they you know and then and then they tout this this like academy program but none of these players and yes Alfonso davies is is there, but uh, you know, my my beef with that, and maybe I'm looking for the negative and all of it, it was he the Caps didn't develop him for a large portion of that. He was he was brought up in Edmonton. Yeah. Um. You know, they they just the academy doesn't produce all these players. Something they they tout and they prop up and say we're gonna we're gonna build all these great players and put them onto the first team, and that's not happening. So they're not necessarily creating this great team with youth and local players on, on a, a, such a low budget. And then they're not spending money and they're bringing in retreads and they're bringing in guys on loan and bringing in guys who need a second shot. This, that, and the other, um, it's, it's, it's honestly, it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre business that they're running. And I think if, if you're a diehard, um, a supporter, then, you know, you're probably trying to consider what you're going to do next. And I've seen a lot of people online, by no means this is scientific research, but a lot of people are saying, you know, because of the scandal, but because of what's happening on the field, they're not renewing their tickets, their season tickets. And and the fact is, their fucking attendance is dropping. Like, you know, they had that midweek game, which has never been an easy sell, but they had that midweek game against Atlanta last week, and they were down to around 16,000. And I think that crowd was probably papered a bit, too. So it is... It it hasn't been a good run, and 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 again, the ticket sales for this twenty nineteen season have not been great. And uh, you know they're they're gonna have to take a look in the mirror here and figure out like what the hell are we gonna do moving forward? We being them, but they're gonna have to figure out what the fuck is going on because you know they they can't they can't they're not banking on the Lions not being good and the Canucks not being good. They're just they're you know I, I think a comedian said it uh once they're they're not they're not fucking their way to the top they're fucking their way to the middle you
1: know <laughs> i think it was jeff ross who said that yeah <laughs> yeah and they seem completely content to do that exactly and, exactly and and like you said you know they you you're of the belief that no heads are going to roll out of all of this and i don't think that's an uncommon belief i just don't think you can stand to you know alienate your hardcore fan base which is exactly what they are doing right now they are week after week facing these supporter club walkouts there is a full-on fan revolt going on and they are just totally fine to continue on business as usual as they have for almost a decade now doing absolutely nothing
2: well and they've and they've they have had meetings with the supporter groups uh the Southsiders, curva collective among two of i'm sure a few more and they have they've said they don't like the idea they want them to stop at the 35th minute they want this to to you know they don't want this to fucking work anymore and continue um but they're not doing anything about it they just want them to stop they're not bending they're not or they're not breaking on the situation yeah these con- they're not these conversations it's, 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 are not even
1: these conversations are not even remotely constructive like none of the fan groups are coming out of these meetings feeling like we were heard and this is there there's change coming it's it's exactly what we're talking about it, yeah it's nothing like you said it's it's just it's just the
2: it's the same old same old and you know what i've tweeted this before and and people some people scoffed at me about it, but I, I heard this a few years ago. This was told to me by by a source, and this was probably a year or two ago, with, with that team when I was more heavily involved in the in the Vancouver soccer scene. But the belief was that this current trio of people that are that are the higher level white caps staff member, including Bob leonard uh, Greg Anderson, Rachel Lewis, they were part of things before the caps got to MLS. All right, so they they've seen this shift from USL to the next league and the NASL and, before that, and the growth that has happened with with everything. And from an ownership standpoint, the belief is that well, they were here and we were this value, and they're here now, and we're probably worth I don't know, 180, 200 million dollars. They must be doing something right. That that's that's literally what I've heard. So. I, again, I don't think anybody's going anywhere and we're just going to keep treading our wheels here. And, and I don't know what the next, I don't know what the next thing is going to be. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see some movement on, on this, this whole off the field situation with, with that scandal. But there's, there's just so much, uh, I don't know, mud there. Nothing is clear at all. And, It's they're not doing themselves any favors with how they've dealt with things uh, from a PR standpoint.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a pro wrestling fan, which is a difficult thing to be sometimes, uh, and also be, uh, you know, an ethical person who has political beliefs because, you know, WWE is uh, is, is not the greatest company in the world. We'll say they're um, fantastic. What are you talking about? <laughs> they, they've got. Do they another...
2: have that show in Saudi Arabia. Or yeah, they,
1: yeah, they've got another Saudi Arabia show coming up two weeks from now. So perfect. Yeah, look forward to that because uh, they are just going to continue to take, Mohammed bin Salman's money for the next decade and have no sort of ethical issues with that. But they depend on the idea that I think you know the Trump White House depends on on some level as well is that there's always going to be another fire started somewhere. The media attention will be diverted to something else, somewhere else, uh, yeah. every single time. And you don't always have to bend to the crowd because these things will just disappear. People will forget about them. And you, I mean, in a case like this, you kind of have to rely on the Southsiders, Curva Collective, these fan supporter groups to keep uh, banging this drum because it is an uncomfortable story and uncomfortable stories do not have a huge shelf life in sports talk radio. It's unfortunate to say. Well, and I'll,
2: I'll just say this on it is the fact that, um, when all of this came out the the first blog post i want to say was in late february and i had heard i had heard some rumblings back in january that something was going to happen um and and obviously i didn't have all the information uh prior to that but there were there was some news to me um that something was going to come out sooner than later so that comes out in late february and I from here in in L.A. I was reaching out to people that I I know in Vancouver media saying you should take a look at this. There's there's something here. It's good to see that there have been a few media outlets and members really uh, taking this head on. Um, a guy I know at News Eleven Thirty, Martin McMahon. He's yep. been really he's been really pushing it. And I and I and I've I've told him uh, I've said right to him like this is great to see that you're doing this. Or you know it's it's awesome that you're kind of steering this right now because it needs to be out there um but the the, the funny and crazy part about all of it is that th- there was a writer who i think is actually based in new york so that's why he had some concern because he's on the continent but he writes for the guardian and when that story from this writer based in new york went to the com or whatever it was.co.uk uk. When that hit the web, that's when people took notice. It's like, holy shit! This big outlet is reporting about this little old soccer team in Canada, mm-hmm. and that's when the floodgates opened. So that was the unfortunate part about all of this. Really, the Guardian article was the one that took it to the next level. And it's just and
1: piggybacking this, you know, all these local reporters whose work is going to go, yeah, un- unnoticed basically.
2: Essentially, and but I mean, I, I am glad that it's being talked about and and it's it's out there further but honestly i i i just don't think the white caps are gonna budge i don't you know when i when that news first came out and i think i tweeted as much i was like these guys are just fucking burying their heads in the sand and they don't they don't wanna they're not moving they don't wanna they won't wanna do much on this and um here we are and we've seen a couple shitty statements later and and all these fan walkouts and we're still kind of in the same
1: boat yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of glad that we packed some laughs in earlier in, in the conversation because this is uh, a bit of a sad note to end on, and it's probably only going to get sadder uh, right here. In, be-
2: in the words of Ralph Rantanago, that took a very
1: hard turn. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the reasons that you're on the show this week is because um, you—I you, wanted you to come fight me about uh, uh, impartial objectivity in sports media, which is something that I do not believe can exist. But uh, which I
2: believe I won, by the way.
1: Yeah, I believe I won too. So let's. The, just... the
2: judges came in. The judges are <laughs> cheering for me.
1: They said I won. <laughs> <laughs> but, but another reason that you're on the show this week is that you and I have talked uh, a, a lot over the last couple weeks, and um, you know we've always kind of been friendly with each other for several years now. But um, you know, since uh, since Jason uh, Botchford passed away, it's uh, there's there's a there's a hole in the DMs for um, you know not just me but a lot of people as well, and it's been nice uh, to be conversing with you on a semi-regular basis to try and um you know fill this irreplaceable void uh in our lives but uh, you know uh, it's been talked about a lot that he had time for all kinds of different uh, media outlets whether that's local indie podcasts or you know uh any radio show that would have invited him on back before he was a TSN exclusive guy and um, that included the show that you were making with with Mike and Jason. Whether it was evenings or weekends, whether it was the morning or or midnight, he seemed to always uh, make time to come on that show. And as someone who was producing that show and booking guests and on all the things that you were doing, I uh, just wondered if you had any any stories about Jason Bochford that you wanted to share with us.
2: Yeah, he. No, I mean he was. We've we've heard it from so many people um, over the last little while. How how just awesome of a guy he was and the opportunities that he provided the people, the time he took with people. Um, you know, I mentioned, and I I think it was 2010 when we, we started up the show at, uh, at TSN or team, I guess it was known back then, but you know, we'd have our show from like 10 to midnight and he would, he'd come on our program at like 1040 or 11 o'clock. Um, and he'd have so much like fucking energy, like it was it was insane how much he brought, and how much passion he brought. And like back then, I mean, this is nine years ago. He we didn't really know him well, and over time, Mike and Jason obviously got to work with him extensively and and got to know him uh, better than I did. But, you know, I, I just always thought like, I mean, this guy is so generous with his time and like, why, why is he doing this? Like, why, why does he want to, why does he want to talk to us on a Wednesday night at 11 o'clock? Like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't making sense.
1: Yeah. The later your show is, the more impossible it is to book. I think we should also point out if he's,
2: he's doing it live, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not going in for a pre-tape at like eight 30. This is a guy who's like, yeah, I can do it live. No problem. And, and he, he was just so, so kind with, with his time. Um, and, and was, was just always available, always accessible. And I, I think, you know, um, over the years, and, and that's another thing you get to know people. Um, but I was talking about before people kind of get out of their shell a bit and they become a bit more personal and, and they can make, you know, I, I think the thing with, with him and I, is we always had time to make terrible jokes. Um, we always had time to talk about, you know, some of those things that weren't getting covered by the mainstream media, some of the different storylines, some of the potential scandals or conspiracies that we thought, um, it was like, there was just so many laughs over the years. There was like a lot of, of, uh, we, you know, just a couple guys bullshitting and, um, and, and just talking about, um, what, what was happening on, on the local sports scene. And he was, he was, what I appreciated about him, and this kind of—I mean, this falls in line with—with with what others have said, what you've said—is the, the time he made for the younger guy. Even though I wasn't that much younger than him, but I—he was much more established than I was. But he always had the time to to, to take to support the different things that I was doing. So, for example, the Ralph bit, or or the different feuds I would get in with media members or just different stories that were happening you know i remember i was i was um just having a go at the toronto fc um the whole storyline the media there and he fucking loved it like and he was he was probably winding me up a little bit too which was awesome but you know he was he was he was there for the ride and we had so many laughs on that and and I think I, I, you know, sometimes I can be serious. And I, I was having a go at the end of the season last year with um, about the Whitecaps and Carl Robinson and and the very, very um, ugly situation uh, with the guy who was representing him and representing a bunch of players with the club. And you know, I, I was. It, 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 from an agent standpoint, it was so not professional. It was very much like a Sportsnet newsroom in Toronto. Um, <laughs> this this guy was this guy was chirping me, and, and he had no substance to his tweets. I would tweet things at him and say, you know, make not so much accusations, but I had a lot of evidence about certain things, and he would just say, "You're lying. You're a liar. You're just you're lying. You lie, lie, lie." And and botch botch chimed in. Why is botch talking soccer? Botch is chiming in about this and he's going at the guy too. And, you know, he was, he, he was honestly, he was just a great dude. He, he, um, he, you know, he, he had so many people's backs and, um, and there were many people that I'm sure knew him better than I did. But, um, you know, we, I, I, would like to think, uh, that time we shared, it was, we made a great connection and, um, you know, I definitely miss him. And, and the, I I made a a comment to a friend. I was like, like I talked to the, I would talk to this guy more than I talked to my family. It was weird. Yeah. Like it, it was just bizarre. Like I, I, I talked to him more than I talked to like my brother or sister. Like he's just, he was always there. And I honestly, when I, when I got the news, I was just absolutely shocked. I could not believe that. I thought, I thought it was like, like a fucking April fool's joke or something. So um, it's, you know, I, it, it's uh, it's terrible, and you know we we all miss him. And um, it, I personally would have loved to have been there. I think it was uh, uh, recently in Vancouver when they did the whole media gathering, but um, unfortunately, I couldn't be there for that. But I know there was a lot of stories, and a lot of uh, laughs and tears for for him. But uh, yeah, he's 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 so missed, and I I have no idea how this next Canucks season is going to kick off here uh, because. You know, he was such an, such an influence on, on the coverage, um, how he told the story, um, you know, just all the, all the different tales he had and all the different angles he looked at things. Um, it's going to be, I don't know who, I don't know who, 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 and if anybody can really fill his shoes because he, you know, he just had such a unique way of, of doing things. And, um, yeah, I think I think, and a couple people have said this, but when we get into September here, when 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 training camp rolls around, it's it's going to be very different for for that um, consumer of Canucks coverage because there's going to be a big hole in it.
1: Yeah, it's almost like um, as much as you know, you try to to pick up the pieces and 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 not uh, just be consumed by grief and sadness about the whole thing. Uh, as time moves on here, I feel like that the grieving process will just be. Ripped wide open all over again, basically, as soon as this season kicks off. Because, you know, whether it was the Pravis, whether it was the Athletes, what he wrote in those pieces would dictate the narratives and, you know, whether you agreed with it or whether you wanted to push back on it, that's, Mm. if you listen to sports talk radio, both stations, everything that was in those pieces would dictate the media coverage um, for the entire day, for the entire week in some cases. And there's just, there's no one else in that position. And I don't know that there can ever be anyone else in that position, really, to have that sort of sway over what everyone talks about in this city.
2: No, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, it, like I said, I mean, the, the, the hole that's been, been left. And I, and I don't say that from a a selfish standpoint because me or you or that, that next reader is, is going to, um, you know, have difficulty or something. I mean, we, we, we lost like, uh, just a great guy, a great human, a great friend. Um, but he, you know, he he stood out. He was so he was. What's so crazy is he was like just so ahead of everybody else mm-hmm. when it came to doing what he was doing. And well, um,
1: I don't know about that. Penn's blog, I think, was doing the uh, the the athletics before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um,
2: but you know what I mean? Like, no, he, I know. I, and, I fully agree. And he would, appre- he would appreciate these laughs, by the way. I but, know, I know. Um, it, it's, it's just, I, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for the next person because when when they do what's next, there's going to be that comparison and there's going to be, well, the next person who might try something like that, well, he just wants to be like botch. Um, but that's that's just something that, that's uh that's so great from his point his standpoint right? uh, he was such a a leader in 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 that regard and how he uh had that creativity and and that um that mentality to do that um is is unforgettable and yeah like just so i mean so many so many funny times so many laughs so many jokes over the years and uh yeah it, it's 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 very weird it's been a very um been a very difficult what almost almost month i suppose here yeah and
1: um yeah so um it's funny though listening to your story about him jumping in on that soccer talk that you were having because like one of my big takeaways from the last three weeks and everybody sort of telling their story and being brought closer together by uh everything that's that's happened um this month is like, I feel a lot closer to everyone uh, in the media, whether that is you know people that I work with or people on the other side of the aisle or people in in the newspaper industry. He's kind of tightened our entire community, and 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 that's kind of speaks to the way he ran the Pravis and the Athletes as this sort of uh, inclusive uh, community-driven piece of media. Like he he built so much community. For someone who seemed to live off of conflict,
2: yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah.
1: That's the thing because he, you
2: know, he he's botch wasn't a community guy, like, and we we know that we know that much from some of the stories we've heard. You know, he very much kept like job away from from personal. Um, he he was the lives were separate that way. He's not the type of guy who's like, "Hey everybody, let's start this grassroots effort." But <laughs> all the while, and I'm not saying the athletes or provis are like that, but all the while he was doing this this thing where he incorporated a lot of these stupid tweets or like these just fucked up comments or you know, I mean, I th- there were a lot of times. I mean, I, I would write I've come up with stupid tweets or stupid jokes just to see if he would take them and throw them in his piece. Yeah. Just, just to see like, why the fuck not? Right. Like, let's, <laughs> let's see if he runs with it or, or whatever. Um, so it, it's, it it is very, it, it's, it's, it's great to see. It is great to see that there has been this, this togetherness from, um, from this obviously, I would have never have liked to have seen this because we, we would rather have them here. Of course. Um, but, um, you know, it, again, I, and not to, not to harp on this, but I'm, I'm just so curious to see what's going to happen in the fall here when we get, go back going with the Canucks season and, and you know, that, that big missing influential figure that covered the team so well and, and had just so many different uh, storylines covered. And, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tall task for, for whoever does that next. And, and for a lot of people who are going to go down that path and in, in Vancouver.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I was at the uh, the media gathering, the Celebration of Life thing that went on uh, last week. And, you know, one of my favorite moments that came out of that was, you know, I talked extensively in, in what I wrote about um, and what I've talked about with people since then is uh, the night that that we met, the night that I met him at the sports bar for that uh, that influencer slash media gathering season kickoff <laughs> uh, thing. And I was talking to Jay Pat about like how, you know, it, I, the, the the memorial was at the sports bar so i was talking about how i met him right in this room right over there and jpat said that he uh, he couldn't wait to talk to me because i had i had outed the, the entire influencer program. I had screen grabbed the DM that the Canucks had sent me and posted it publicly on my Twitter, basically saying, hey, if nobody hears from me after this, it's because they have led me into a room like Joe Pesci at the end of Goodfellas. Send a party after me looking for me. And j told me that, you know, just that, that element of uh, exposé and confrontation he just lived for that he fucking loved that I had done that and he could not wait to talk to me about it
2: well i mean you remember do you remember the the shitstorm that he faced there for the whole joe thornton thing yeah like i mean and how could you not remember that i mean you look back at that and that was that was such garbage from so many people and he we we as as readers, listeners, whatever, these are the things we thrive on. And you know, and then all of a sudden people are trying to take this moral fucking high ground about, oh well, that's that's against the code. You can't you can't say that, that off the record. Like, shut the fuck up, you know? <laughs> like he he did what and he reported what people wanted to hear and he added he added so much personality to a situation like that. And you, know, you talk about uh, a scenario, the situation, the time when, when you met him, um, you know, I, I met him on a, obviously on a few occasions, but, um, there was a time I saw him and I think it was like at the lamplighter for the Carsonia awards, the Paul Carson awards or something that was, that was organized. It was probably around this time. It was right around the start of the Stanley cup final. And it was, I don't know, three, four years ago or something. And, um, I remember and I'm not gonna get into the whole story right now because it's just stupid, but I remember telling him the time when the Moj challenged me to a fight. <laughs> and and but I, I've never seen or heard a person laugh the way Botch laughed when I told him that. Like he I think he spilled his beer, he lost his mind and like you see somebody do that, and then you laugh. Um, it was fucking hilarious, and um, it was I mean, honestly that was it was such like a little moment, but it was such a funny moment. I'm never gonna forget that because the again, it just it tied into all the the stupid messages and the stupid comments back and forth and the conversations, and um, yeah, he he was. I mean, you just can't say it enough. He was an awesome guy, and and will be forever missed.
1: Uh, uh, You know, it is so sweet um, and wonderful that obviously this is just such a fucking awful tragedy, but um, it's impossible to talk about him and tell stories about him without also just laughing uproariously also. Like, yeah, it's it's it is an awful tragedy. But, you know, we have these conversations and it's hard not to feel uh, feel good about them coming out of them on the other end on some level. So, yeah, no doubt. Well, uh Mike, I really appreciate the time we've been going at this for uh for over 2 hours now. So, um Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, you haven't been on the radio for a while. We had a lot to get into. I think I think the
2: uh, I think somebody's cheering for the Raptors again actually. <laughs> Uh, oh oh, Kawhi
1: just missed a shot actually yes we started this in between games in the milwaukee series but another one has started at this point
2: yeah i think actually we we bypassed all of games four and five (laughs) i'm sorry are are the raptors eliminated
1: we'll we'll find out we'll find out um thank you so much for taking the time to do this man i really appreciate it it was a hell of a conversation
2: it was very fun. Thank you. I'd love to do it again in the near future. Russell, look
1: out! That's your Real Good for the week. I hope you liked it. I certainly did. I know I say that all the time, but uh, this one was a real treat. I really enjoyed myself, and I hope you did listening along as well. As always, if you like the show and want to support it, you can do so by heading on over to patreon.com realgoodshow. Always appreciate it if you kick me a five-star review in the iTunes store or Apple Podcasts, as they call it now, or wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Rate and review the show, or better yet, tell somebody uh, that the show exists that you like it and that they might like it too. That's always a huge boost for me as well. Uh, Appreciate uh, Mike coming on the show and taking the time. As I said to him, appreciate you taking the time to listen to our conversation as well. And um, until next week, I I may as well just get on out of here because the show went so long this time around. Until next week, be real, be good, be real good. Take it away, Richard Marks.
0: Would you recommend, Jesus Christ, would you recommend are you listening to, the, to me? Yeah, I'm just saying. 56, like, would random, you, these aren't professionals. Would you,
1: would you, would you recommend Dude. it to, like, the military as, like, yeah, a, a government torture I process would, or whatever? Like,
3: fuck, like, is it torture? like <laughs> you. Fuck off.